0: If you have a financial question for Peg or Bruce, you can call this number 24-7. Keep in mind, one advice You can also email those questions to yourmoney@wealthenhancement.com. But right now, you can also call or text our studio line at 651-461-9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer.
1: Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Denny.
2: Good morning. Hi, Peg. Thank you, Denny Long, for the wonderful introduction. And, uh, Peg, you know, we talk about this a lot, but it bears repeating. The lines are open. You know, Will, if people have a a burning question and they want to call in, Denny, Peg and I will kind of interrupt our narrative the things we're talking about and take uh, questions when people have them. But today, Peg, and I I, I love the topic. Uh, Sometimes I, I love some topics more than others. This is a really good one. We're going to talk about four financial unknowns. These are things that are important to our success as an investor, but, but we can't know what's going to happen. And that kind of leads to the overarching thing that we talk about a lot, but I don't think we can talk about it too often. And that is to to coach people, to focus on things that they can control too often. People worry about things that they have no control over. Worrying about where interest rates are going to go or where inflation is going to go or where the market's going to go is an exercise in futility. We can't control that, but there are things that we can do that we can can offset some of these negative things when they happen. Or the oversimplified analogy I always use, we can't control the weather. We can't control if it rains or snows, but we can control whether we uh, bring an umbrella in the car or wear a warm enough coat. Those are things we can control, and in the investment world, we're going to talk today about some things that we don't know what's going to happen. But there's some actions that we can take to maximize our our uh, our, our results, regardless of what happens.
1: Yeah, Bruce, I'm I'm actually glad that you invited everybody to call in and ask questions early because I feel like that is the uh, most fun part of the show, and it, it and it gives our listeners an idea of what other people are thinking about. And so today, uh, I like this topic in that I like the things that I can control. And I happen to be one of those people that absolutely worry when things are out of my control. I wish I could turn it off, but I can't. The first one we think about, and people might go, I wouldn't have thought about that, is how long are we going to live? So when we do a comprehensive plan, uh, one of the questions we ask is, how long do you think you're going to live? And nobody really knows, but then they start to tell us about family. You know, um, Uncle Joe had this and my brother had this. And, you know, and, and some people, Bruce, will come to us and say, I, I, I probably aren't, I might not make it to 65, I mean, there there are people out there that just think this is when I'm going to pass away based on, you know, uh, other experience. But Wealth Enhancement Group with this comprehensive planning, we can only take that those comments into consideration uh, a tad when we're doing uh, these comprehensive plans, because most people in longevity is actually um, – Quite frankly, since COVID, I was going to say people are living longer, but statistically, before COVID, people lived longer. Now we went through COVID and there's these other drug related deaths and there's suicide out there, there's traffic accidents and homicide, um, just lots of things that we're actually, we've lost 2.7 years on our le- le- longevity statistically. We still run our comprehensive plans to age 90 or more. Full confession, I've been running them to 100. What that does then is it just builds a little bit extra safety net, you know, if there's these one-offs or things that are outside your control, um, just to have a little bit more cushion there. Bruce?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting to me that this is the first time in decades that our, you um, uh, expected our life expectancy has moved backwards. And like you said, peg COVID was a big contributing factor, but that's not the only thing. Um, I always facetiously, when I also run my plans out to age 100 and sometimes someone will say, well, this thing goes to age 100. What if I live longer? And I always say, well, on your 101st birthday, you give me a call and we'll figure out where we're going to go now. But, uh, honestly, you know, it is so important that you plan for longer than you think you're going to live. If you plan you know, to spend all your money because you think you're going to die by 75 and you're still alive and now you don't have any money, that's a problem, but if you plan for age 100 and you die after the age of 75 and you still have money, most people aren't going to mind having the extra go to kids or grandkids or loved ones in some way. Now, Peg, we talked about things you can control and things you can't control. So to a large degree, we can't control how long we're going to live, whether it's genetics, or you and I have both known people, had clients that do everything right, um, and they still get cancer or they got COVID or they die in an accident. But there are a lot of things that people can do to improve their chances for a longer life expectancy.
1: Yeah, I think we can be, we're, we're so much uh, more educated about what should we put in our body. You know, so um, so I love ice cream, you know, and so I, I, I have to limit, you know, uh, how much ice cream I can eat every day. I actually eat ice cream every day, but the proportion is small, right? So you can kind of get away with it. But there's so many more statistics out there about what is healthy and what is not healthy for you to live longer. And a biggie is not smoking. Now, Bruce, you and I grew up in an era where smoking was really cool and lots of people did it. And I'm so uh, grateful that we're at the place we are right now that we don't have to worry about going into a store or getting on an airplane and having people smoke. So you somewhat have a better choice today whether you want to be around a smoker. And then quite frankly, exercising uh, is so helpful. And I see so many more people out just walking and doing that kind of thing and managing stress. Um, That one, I wish I could take back some of my really stressful years in working and raising a family and now, if I knew back then you know how much stress mattered, I probably would have controlled it a little bit more. But once again, we're more educated today about how um to to create longevity or or let's say the probability of success of living longer. Then, when it comes to your financial plan, um we take a lot into consideration uh, you know, we already said about the age we go to one hundred and then where you take your distributions from. So we won't get into that today, but it's a big deal. Like, where do you pull your money from? Because I call that another longevity, um, predictable income, if you do that right. The The second one I want to talk about, and we could spend the whole show on this, is inflation. So we hadn't heard that word for decades, right? Nobody was concerned about, you know, now... My clients were about inflation because medical costs was six percent compounded. Medical costs. We talked to our clients about how much is it costing for your healthcare today. How much are you contributing? And that that's real. But now today, it seems that everything is going up um, in because of this inflation. Now, yeah, the numbers gone down. The highest inflation number that that I had tracked was. 8.54% back in March of 2022. And right now we're about at 6.4%. But this that's not good, right? The government's trying to get it all the way down to 2%. So far, the only tool that I've really witnessed, um, in, in a solid tool historically, is raising interest rates. And raising interest rates is supposed to get people to stop spending, you know, consumer spending. And it also is supposed to get businesses, um, you know, some of their profit goes to paying like business costs, like interest. And so then they're less profitable. Then they start laying people off. And so it's kind of funny, Bruce, in that th- there's an organization like the Fed that actually has to try to slow everything down. And right now, um, they're successful at a, at a minimum, right? We still have a lot to do to get the, the, the economy to, to, to slow down, or this inflation could actually flip where it's starting to go back up, which is the worst thing that could happen in the Fed's eyes. Bruce? Bruce?
2: Yeah, and, and again, we talk about things we can control and things that we can't control. Um, the Fed, the, the government, is trying to control inflation, but, you know, with, without a whole lot of success, like you said, Peg, it's a little better than it was, but it's still not good. Everybody listening knows that when they go to the grocery store or they go to the gas pump. Um, but the other thing to point out, you know, I think from a from a global economic standpoint, you know, America's not alone in this. And, and, and again, um, politicians, you know, point fingers and both sides blame the other and, and for policy mistakes or, or whatever. But it's not as though this is unique to America. This is a global phenomenon. So a lot of this still goes back to the pandemic and, and you know, pent-up demand. We have this shutdown and nobody can do anything. And now we can do things again and supply just can't keep up with demand people want to live they want to travel they want to get on an airplane they want to spend they want to buy stuff and 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 the supply can't keep up and that's oversimplifying it a little bit but that's really at the heart of what's driving inflation how do we slow it down and then how do we you know they talk about a soft landing how do we not slow it down too much too fast and then we end up in recession But the other irony, you know, when we talk about what to do as investors, so we have these inflationary period, and we know inflation is bad. And yet, when we have inflation, because inflation is, is bad, people think, oh, my gosh, it's going to be bad for the market. I should get out of the market. But that's the exact opposite or wrong thing to do, because if inflation is high, the personal rate of return that we need on our money goes up so we can keep pace with inflation. If our if our rate of return on our on our money is less than the inflation rate, we're losing purchasing power, even if the principal on our money isn't we're not losing money, but we're losing purchasing power. So people feel caught. It's like a two edged sword. What do I do here? So inflation is here. We know that. What do people do about it? Okay?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so you you absolutely need a well-diversified allocation to stocks and some fixed income and some cash. There's also something you can control, and there is assets that are non-correlated to stocks or fixed income. And so Wealth Enhancement Group, and I think this is where the average investor, if you're doing it on your own, It's an area that gets more difficult because it's more complex. And what do I mean by non-correlated assets? It could be real estate. You know, it could be real estate investment trusts. Um, It could be precious metals. Um, There's lots of things that don't follow the stocks and bonds. So um, if if indeed we have a distribution plan, we're probably going to put some low correlation assets in there you know, to uh, buffer, if you will, times like this. And so there are things that you can do. And if you're listening out there, um, things that are sensitive to inflation and rising interest rates, uh, there's probably something that you can buy that would offset. Now, are you going to take all your assets and go, you know, buy real estate or a trust or something like that? Absolutely not. But you put a percentage in there. And Bruce, normally we talk about a 20%, maybe 10, 10, 20% buffer of low correlated assets. Bruce?
2: Yeah. And, you know, Peg, that's, that's brilliant. But what I think of, and, and, I, and I can almost hear some people screaming, you know, at their radio or, or however they're listening to us right now, saying, oh, yeah, well, what happened last year? I had a diversified portfolio. And I still, you know, lost X percent on my portfolio. Listen, sometimes you can do things right, and it just doesn't work out. There's just going to be times where that is true. The example I've been using for my clients is if if you're if you're planning a wedding and you want to have an outdoor wedding, you can go to a weather service and get a forecast for, for the for the year. And they do their forecast, and they come back and they say July 10th looks to be no chance of rain and also historically when we look back over past years the second week of july tends to be really dry so you do all your research and you set your wedding for july 10th and it was a good decision you did your due diligence you talked to experts and it rains on july 10th anyway during the wedding that doesn't mean you did anything wrong you did everything right sometimes things just don't turn out the way you want them to And 2022 was one of those years but there's not, not every year is going to be 2022. In fact, there's darn few of those where almost all the asset classes that we invest in are down at the same time. That just doesn't happen very often. Peg last word on that one.
1: Yeah, I, I really agree with you, Bruce. I think you know one of the reasons for diversification is that we don't have that crystal ball to be able to pick exactly what asset class is going to do, what return. I wish we'd did, but I don't know <clears throat> that's just not reality. And kinda of, I want to kind of roll into market returns because that ties into yep. another thing that you really can't control. You can't predict what the stock market's gonna do over the next 30 days, one month, even a year. But history, we can go by that a little bit, right? If if you're a long term investor, it it has rewarded you. I did a review last week, and this was kind of interesting um, they obviously they have a comprehensive plan, very detailed plan, and we're following it doing roth conversions and and uh things like that but the question was should we rerun that plan now and we we um created the plan oh probably seven years ago or so, and the inflation rate that we plugged in the plan was 3% compounding. And then we actually put in a modest 5% growth on stocks and a modest 2% on bonds, because at the time, we weren't even getting anything on our fixed income. And so the question came, should I rerun that plan for them to see um, if it would be a lot different now that inflation and the markets are down? I went, absolutely not the value of your account that we projected at the end of 2023 is higher. You know, the value of your accounts today is higher than what we had projected in 2023 with the inflation and the rates of return and all of that. So there was no reason to rerun it, but I thought that was an interesting question, Bruce, because they think inflation so high now if it's 6%. Um, and if, my rate of return is negative this year. Do you rerun a plan? Because you have this one 2022 year, am I going to run 6% inflation for the rest of their lives? No. So I wanted to walk through that to this is a real life situation where these clients are asking to rerun the plan, but they're still ahead. And why are they ahead? Because they they were willing to be in growth, you know, for the last seven, eight, nine years. And so they're actually ahead. So you don't necessarily sell your stocks, sell your bonds, you know, change your whole plan, because we're going through this tough time, provided you have enough liquidity, you know, to create your paychecks during these tougher times. Bruce?
2: Yeah, that's a great example, Peg. And, you know, so 2022, when we do these forecasts and, and, and I, I do them the same way you do. So the forecast that I did for clients three years ago, five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago, we make assumptions of what your return on investment will be and what inflation will be. Well, in 2022, inflation I'm sure was higher than what we assumed on our projection and return on investment was lower. But how many years in a row did they have where inflation, the real inflation, was lower than what we assumed. The return on investment was higher than what we assumed. That one bad year in 2022 didn't torpedo all those good years and sink the ship. It just made it not quite as good as it was. So, yeah, same situation with me, Peg. Most of my clients are actually doing far better than what we projected, even after the horrific year we had in 2022. Um, We probably have a little time to at least touch on Taxes, I don't know if we'll finish. We're getting close to the end of the first segment. But the fourth thing that we uh, don't know what's going to happen, taxes, taxes the,
1: the only thing I wanted to add here, Bruce, is you know we're talking about maybe a possible recession. What can people control? So um, you can build up some emergency fund now. Not a bad idea. Uh, interest rates on the bank and um, savings rates. And I'll say once again, listeners, if you are not getting... You know three percent on your money, and the bank is giving you zero. You have got to make a phone call and be proactive on making money on your money. We have an opportunity now to make money on our money also pay off high interest debt because we have higher interest rates, but still but those debt that debt is higher uh, than um, what you can get in the bank and then try yeah, to I- find some oh. alternative income streams, Bruce.
2: I was just going to say I'm glad you did that, and that worked out better anyway, because, Danny, in the second half, hopefully listeners will uh, participate, and then Peg and I will talk a little bit about taxes to wrap up our, our discussion. Good job, Peg. I, I missed on those. Uh, that was good information.
0: Very good. We uh, have a bunch of text messages already. If you'd like to join the group, six five one four six one nine two two six. 651-461-9226. Two, two, we'll be back right after the break with more of your money. Stay with us. If you happen to have a financial question for Peger Bruce, you can call this number. Keep in mind, 24 one 888 6 advice you can also email those questions to yourmoney@wealthenhancement.com. And right now, you can call or text our studio line, 651-461-9226, and we urge you to do so, 651-461-9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Thank
2: you, Danny Long. Thank you, listeners, for sticking with us, or if you just joined us, Uh, Peg and I have been talking about four financial unknowns and we've been talking about the difference between things we can control and things we can't control. In the first half we got through uh, of our unknowns, we talked about longevity. No one knows how long they're going to live, but we talked about things that you can do to enhance your chances for a healthy lifestyle, eating right, not smoking, not drinking to excess, managing stress, exercising, and so forth. And we also acknowledge you can do everything right and still get cancer or get hit by a bus. So we don't know for sure how long we're gonna live and we can't control that, but to some extent we can enhance our chances. Second, we talked about inflation, we can't control that, but there's things that we can do financially to offset the effects of inflation from well-diversified uh, investments uh, to, uh, to patients, um, to not panicking about high inflation, controlling our spending, and so forth. The third thing, market returns. No one can control or predict what the stock market will do in the short term, although historically it has always rewarded investors in the long term. Of course, past performance doesn't guarantee the future, but when you look at a history of the market, um, it's reasonable to assume or expect that over five years, 10 years, 15 years, that you'll have positive uh, returns, and then we talked about some specific some specific things you can do when we have inflation or when we have a down market. Peg talked about building your emergency fund, paying off uh, high interest debt if you can, and just developing some alternative in- income streams. And again, control your spending, especially in difficult times when things aren't uh, all going exactly the way you want. So, Peg, that's kind of what we did in the the first half. The one of the four financial unknowns that we teased a little bit, but didn't get to taxes or tax policy.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so tax policy, one of the, I, I still say this is the most complex system that all of us have to deal with. But if you make your decisions based on that, the tax rates that we have now will be the tax rates, you know, um, forever, that is probably not, something to do but i would say you know as far as comprehensive planning and i talked about this in the first half is we do have to make some assumptions in forecasting so we can't say oh i predict that it's going to be this rate this year or completely change well they kind of gave us a window i call of opportunity because when they changed the rates lower they said okay um you know, January 1st of 2026, we're going to revert back to the old tax table. So as planners and, t- and tax advisors, we, we uh, take that to heart, right? And we're trying to get our clients to do something before January of 2026. And that is taking distributions from IRAs at a lower rate, uh, converting some of those IRAs to Roth IRAs. And by the way, I'm going to say this probably every week that when the market's down is the best time to do a Roth conversion, to take some of your tax-deferred money, and all of you listening probably have a higher percentage in deferred than you do after-tax money, but taking a percentage of that uh, taxable money and converting it to a Roth. And why do I say that if the market's down, because if you transfer those shares now, or you transfer those monies now, and I believe in your lifetime, most of you, the market will go back up. I don't know how long it's going to take, but then your uh, Roth IRA will grow tax-free if you follow all the rules. So I wanted to highlight that one. Uh, sidestepping new these RMD rules that this that uh, the SECURE Act came out, and, and this one has been for a while, it is that the, your beneficiaries have to have that money out of that IRA in 10 years. So they would appreciate getting a Roth versus getting taxable money too. And then maybe you just uh, cash in some stocks that you have had for a long time, just pay the capital gains now. We currently under a state planning law if I die with a stock that has you know, a really low basis and has lots of capital gains, the law currently is that it will step up to the value of the account on the date of death. So we do take that into consideration, uh, but we don't want people out there to say, I don't want to pay any tax even. What if the stock is not even a performer? What if it's, you know, um, maybe it's not a company that you believe in anymore? So you got to take a look at that. And then also uh, regarding that sunset that I talked about, there's a certain amount of money that we can die with tax-free. So right now on the federal level, we can die with 12920000 each. I mean, so if you're a couple, you know, you're over $25 million, um, and that's something that that is sunset, sunsetting also in 2026. So if you have a really high... Net worth, um, you you may want to look at gifting, you know, in the next couple of years uh, before that reverts back to 5.5 million um, each. So, and then lastly, there's all sorts of charity strategies that you can use, and um, it, it, and so we uh, recommend to our clients some of those strategies to reduce tax. You know, people who really do want to give money, you don't necessarily want to give just because you get the tax write-off, because you're not going to get 100% write-off. Yeah, um, and so we work through with our clients, you know, how much would you like to give. The biggest uh, area that we take money out of is if you're over 70 and a half, and you were required, at one point you were required to take your RMD, now you have all the way to 73 to take it out. But there's a lot of you listening now that are ready, are taking your required minimum distributions. One of the best thing in the tax code was, hey, I want to take the money out of my IRA uh, instead and make it part of my required minimum distribution. And then that doesn't show up um, on your income tax. So that was a, a great new feature a couple years ago.
2: Bruce? Yeah, Peg, there's so much with regard to taxes. You know, we, just on this topic alone, we could probably do several shows. But, uh, again, I think most people listening to us right now are probably not what you and I would call tax diversified. They they understand diversification from an investment management standpoint. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Invest in a lot of different things, a lot of different asset classes. But tax diversification means don't have all of your money or almost all of your money in tax deferred plans, IRAs, traditional IRAs and 401ks. People like to do that because they like to lower their tax rate now for this moment, for this year. And we talk about tax planning over a lifetime, meaning sometimes you might wanna pay a little bit more now so that you can pay a lot less later and pay a lot lot less net taxes over your lifetime. So we talk about being diversified and having some of your money in taxable accounts, some in tax deferred and some in tax uh, advantaged. And if you haven't done that yet, it's not too late. We could work with people to get that tax diversification. But this, is, this probably more than anything else, when we talk about net return on investment, this is probably the single biggest way that we can improve people's net return on their investment if we can reduce their tax liability. If you get the, the same return on your investment, but you're paying less taxes on it, and you get to keep more of the money, that improves your net rate of return. And this is a, a, a significant way that we can do that. And then, Peg, and, and a lot of people don't think about this, if we do something that reduces your taxes, let's say we do something that reduces your taxes by a $1,000, you not only now have that $1,000, but you have the ability to invest that thousand dollars somewhere let's say you could invest it and make five percent that's 50 bucks that's 50 bucks you wouldn't have had the opportunity to go earn if you had to pay that money in taxes it's called lost opportunity cost so taxes and reducing taxes and being tax efficient is such a big thing and the vast 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 majority of people when they come to us for the first time even people that think they're smart and are doing everything right The vast majority of the time, we're able to help them over a lifetime reduce their tax liability and give some of that money back to them that they can either apply to lifestyle or investments, have earnings on money that used to have to go to the federal government. Okay, Peg, tie a bow on this thing, and then let's get listeners involved. Well,
1: one thing I wanted to mention, uh, if you're interested in learning about being tax aware, you know, in your distribution planning, we actually have a um, ebook, Five Smart Tactics for a Low Tax Retirement on our website. So wealthenhancement.com on the top, if you go click on insights, you'll see that that guide is there and uh, we give kind of five smart things that we do. And then you could read through it yourself and see, maybe put a little more clarity on what we're talking about here, Bruce.
2: Yep. Uh, good, good suggestion. And then just to leave people with some things and takeaways, what they can do. So again, we talk about um, not worrying or trying not to worry about what's out of your control. Performance of the markets is out of your control. Interest rates is out of your control. Inflation is out of your control. Government tax policy is out of your control. But you can control your ability to earn. You can control your your ability to save and invest, to do it and to do it wisely. Um, you can control your spending. You can have some impact on how healthy you are or not by developing good habits and, and exercising. So, again, um, not to beat this horse to death, but focus on things you can control that enhance your chances, increase your uh, your possibilities for success, financial and otherwise. There's no guarantees in this world. None of us is promised tomorrow, but there's a lot of things that we can do that we'll be able to handle and deal with whatever curveballs life throws our way. Any Anything else, Peg, or should we get to go to listeners? No,
1: that was great.
0: All right. Any I was at... Yes, indeed. Uh, Peg and Bruce, uh, this listener wants to know, can and do people come into Wealth Enhancement Group for a second opinion?
2: Great question, Peg.
1: All the time. All the time. <laughs> and, and, and I actually uh, suggest it because, you know, listeners get a little view on the show of kind of how we think. You know, we believe in diversification. We don't believe in just set and forget it. We believe in comprehensive planning. Um, I I, I can't stress enough about this tax planning. So a lot of times people think, I'm going to go to Wealth Enhancement Group and have them look at my portfolio. Well, guess what? We can do that. But what I find is people leave with so much more than that, even in the introduction meeting. Because I can sit with somebody and all of our financial advisors can, and we can recognize things right away. Well, if you did this, if you did that, I always try to give a couple tips, you know, in that meeting. So it's, it's worth people's time. And then it doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to be compatible or, you know, one of the things with that meeting, an introduction meeting is what can we do for you? And what is that going to cost? People love the fact that I can just tell them right then and there. And for the cost, here are the things that you're going to get. Super clear. Uh, Does everybody engage us? No. Some people just don't want to pay anybody, right? Some people really believe, even after I've gone over things, they're doing a super job. And I, I tell people, you're doing really well. But what I will add, this is my last comment here, is, You can't control your emotions, and that's part of what we talked about today. There are things you can't control, and I have witnessed in my decades people making mistakes because it's your money. If you have a a person that's actually um, independent of your emotion, um, I've witnessed that long-term, you're better off. Bruce?
2: yeah i just want to add and that was a great answer peg um i get those people looking for a second opinion also and again health enhancement is a fiduciary so when they come in and i think they are doing a good job or their advisors doing a good job if they're working with another advisor i will tell them that i i try to say things just to convert them into a client of ours if if i think they they look strong and they look good and i'm not sure that we can add much value I tell them that and, and they, but they still appreciate and gain from um, the validation that what they're doing is good. They went to another place, got a second opinion and confirmed they're on the right path and they're doing a good job. But when I see things that I don't think look good, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed to say so. And the percentage of time when I see that and I point that out, I think it's so obvious that what I'm pointing out is accurate and so compelling I don't know this for sure. I don't measure it. But I bet you two times out of three, they end up becoming a client, even though I don't necessarily ask them to do that. But when they see what the shortcomings that I see and I, and I point that out, then they want to end up working with us. But I also want to add, this can work in reverse. On the, on the rare occasion when I've got a disgruntled client that maybe think things uh, look greener on the other side of the hill, I will tell them, go ahead, go interview mm-hmm. somebody else. Take what we've done, take it to them, and see if you think that they'll, they'll do better or they'll do something that we don't do. I'm not i am not threatened about that. Go ahead if you're unhappy. And, again, I will say very seldomly do we have clients leave us um, because they're unhappy with what we've done. But second opinion makes all the – it just makes sense. Denny?
0: Yeah, here's another text, Bruce and Peg, uh, my wife is retiring this year, I will still have W-2 income, can we still contribute to her Roth next year? Peg, there's a lot of confusion yet
2: about when you can contribute and when you can't, um, and I think it goes back to when the law used to be that um, the non-working spouse couldn't contribute at all. Let's, let's update everybody on how that works.
1: Yes. So the answer is yes. So if only one of you are working and you have one W-2, you actually can max out, um, let's say you're over 50 years old, this year it's $7,500. If it's for 2022, which you still have time, it's $7,000. And only one needs to work. Now what I witnessed is, let's say one as a part-time job and they only make $10,000. Well, they can only put up to $10,000 in, even though that they they could put in 14 for last year or 15 for this year. So that I, I love that we got that question because we get that question often. Um, and more so about, you know, you only have a W-2 for 10,000, but they still kind of get, think that they can put in the 14. Uh, and so, um, so yeah. So, and I highly recommend if, if your circumstances uh, warrant it, um, putting money into a, a Roth IRA, or you still get a deduction, you know, if you want to put it in a, a tax-deferred account.
2: Bruce? Yeah, I, I agree. And if you don't need the cash flow for lifestyle and you can still save and invest, even though it's later, later in life, why not? The Saving and investing as long as you can, as much as you can, makes, makes sense. Um, Danny, we should have time for at least one more text, buddy.
0: Sure. Uh, here's one. Uh, does the value of our homes factor into your long-term financial planning?
2: Oh, that's such a good question, Stig. The appreciation or depreciation of where we live.
1: Yeah, we we do not take it into consideration in the comprehensive plan cash flow. We think you have to have somewhere to live, even if you were to um, change homes, you know, if you let's say so let's say you have a $600,000 home and you are going to sell it and you move into a $400,000 home, then I'm going to add the 200000 to your comprehensive plan because it's available to help create income for the rest of your life. Otherwise, um, the other place that we will add real estate sometimes is if you have, you know, a rental, Uh, And then it's cash flows, and we can include that in the comprehensive plan, but not the home that you reside in, you know, for day-to-day living. Bruce?
2: Yeah, and I I agree. We do the same thing. I just want to add, so often people look at their home like they look at their investments, and I always try to coach them not to do that. You know, I've had people say, "I, I really like to buy a house right now, but interest rates are really high, or the market prices are really high. I want to wait for the market to come down. I always tell people the time to buy a house is when for you, it's time to buy a house. If you can afford the down payment, if you look at what your monthly payments going to be with that mortgage and and taxes and insurance and so forth, you should do it. Now, if you end up having growth and you end up selling a house for a profit someday, that's gravy, but that that i i don't want you to treat that like an investment that 's the place where you're going to live and raise your family and create memories and and all those things are more important than the economics of trying to time it just right because you 'll never time it just right anyway if 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 home prices are low, then maybe interest rates are high, or if interest rates are low, maybe prices are high you You buy your house when you can buy your house, and the other point beg. Downsizing later in life, more often, is just right sizing. It probably doesn't really save you that much money. And, Denny, I know we're up against the clock here. We'll probably have to end it right there.
0: Very good, Bruce and Peg. And we'll uh, come back again next week with more financial information. Now, in the meantime, if you uh, have a financial question, you can always call this number toll free. 8886advice. Again, 8886advice. It's available 24-7. You can also email those questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. Again, that phone number, 24-7 availability, 8886advice. Email questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. We'll be back again next week with more of your money.